everyone, it's Carol, and welcome to episode 38 of Speakerman Speaks Retail, where we navigate retail from now to next in every episode. I'm here to help all kinds of retail-focused companies land big B2B programs and cut through all the noise through my latest retail trajectories. These are themes that I'm constantly creating, connecting, and mapping across categories, borders, business models, and touch points. They make sense of all the random stuff happening in retail so you can actually do something about it. Today, we're going to blast through a couple of hot topics that exemplify some of the top retail trajectories we've been tracking and that I've been talking about in recent presentations and media stories. At the top of the list is Mark Tritton being ousted as president and CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond, where comp store sales spiraled 24% year over year in the first quarter and online sales dropped 21%. I don't like to pile on when executives are ejected from top posts. It's just too easy. And in the case of Mark Tritton, some of the same pundits who predicted he'd lead a turnaround at Bed Bath & Beyond are now saying that his strategy was completely wrong all along. Now, I got to say, I was rooting for the guy and I kept an open mind. But I also had some concerns from the start that were a little bit different from the hindsight takes that I keep hearing now. But I like to parse out layered stories like Bed Bath & Beyond because each of those layers serves as a marker for where retail's going next. But it does look like Mark Tritton was held unforgivingly to the three-year turnaround timeline that he set early on. Here we are in 2022, he's out the door, and he came to Bed Bath & Beyond in 2019 from Target, where he was the chief merchandising officer. So the most common criticism is that Mark Tritton's playbook from Target just didn't translate to Bed Bath & Beyond. But that take doesn't really hold water because the big moves that Tritton made followed what most retailers are doing, not just Target. For example, his turnaround strategy largely centered on an ambitious plan to build out a multi-brand private brand portfolio, basically from scratch. Now, we all know that Target is known for their private brands, But private brand building is something that everyone else is doing. I've devoted entire presentations and podcast episodes to what I call the private brand palooza, where retailers are pumping up their private brand portfolios because private brands drive margins and differentiation, they blur price comparisons, and they just give retailers more ownership and control. As inflation hits, all of that matters more than ever. That's true on a global scale, too. You have Tesco and Sainsbury just reporting big upticks in their private brand sales that they directly attribute to inflation. But Bed Bath & Beyond really went beyond on brand creation by launching six brands within five months, and then they went on to layer even more brands after that. That's thousands of newly branded products created as part of the plan. The second leg of the stool was store remodels. Yes, Target's been remodeling some stores, but so is everybody else. I talked about the remodel rush in episode 33 and how retailers are swinging attention back to brick and mortar for all kinds of reasons. For Bed Bath & Beyond, remodels went hand-in-hand with the brand strategy, basically clearing the clutter to showcase all those shiny new brands, or at least give them a fighting chance. Out with the columns of merchandise reaching to the ceiling and in with eye-level branded vignettes. I visited a couple of Bed Bath & Beyond stores after this brand and beautification project started taking shape, and I have to say it was a vast improvement in terms of store experience. This one-two punch of brand creation and store sprucing really seemed to make a lot of sense in 2019 when Mark Tritton took the job. 
And when the official declaration that COVID was a pandemic followed in March of 2022, the obvious take was that it was just an extreme case of bad luck and horrible timing for Mr. Tritton. But not so fast. Here's the inconvenient truth. Even though Bed Bath & Beyond toyed with category expansion over the years, everything from gourmet foods to health and beauty, these beyond pieces of the business were always on the sidelines. Bed Bath & Beyond, at its heart, is a home goods category killer. Category killing was a great model many moons ago, until it wasn't. Walmart was the first big retailer to drive a stake into the model. Do you remember when the retail world used to quake whenever Walmart took a shine to a new category, or when it started to get more serious about ones that were already in the house? That's still true to an extent, but then came Amazon aggressively attacking category after category. And of course, categories like high-margin home goods have been in all kinds of retailer sites, including Target. These retailers have the data to price the goods in a way that can literally kill the category for narrow-focus retailers like Bed Bath & Beyond. So retailers are throwing the kitchen sink at home because it's a profit-driving category that's proven to be pretty pandemic-proof. Last week, I spoke on a panel about the difference between a retailer that has brands and a retailer that is a brand. The distinctions can be subtle, and in some cases, they get pretty muddled because retailers aren't always sure which applies to them. Bed Bath & Beyond is stuck between a rock and a hard place here. If Mark Tritton had stuck with a national brand strategy, Bed Bath & Beyond would continue to carry the brands that everybody else had. Bed Bath & Beyond would still just be a place that has brands, and it would be a race to the bottom on price. Retailers and e-tailers that were cheaper and more convenient would get the sale. But going all-in with private brands was an even riskier move. Bed Bath & Beyond churned out its brands pretty quickly, but the new portfolio was still months and months in the making. And in the meantime, headwinds had reached hurricane force, including supply chain snags that would sabotage its best-laid private brand plans. Also, it's one thing to get brands on the floor and quite another for those brands to gain recognition and traction, and especially with so many competitors creating brands right and left. So Bed Bath & Beyond creating yet more brands in a highly competitive category just wasn't going to fix the fundamental category-killing problem. But here's the thing. Category killing isn't risky just because Amazon, Walmart, Target, and others can and do attack categories at will sometimes without even caring if they're profitable. It's the fact that these competitors are highly diverse, multi-category operators that allows them to even play that game in the first place. And that gives them a whole lot more wiggle room. But all of this rolls up to one of my top trajectories for this year and one that we've been tracking in previous episodes. Diversify or die. Category and business model diversification are the growth engines of retail's future. And Bed Bath & Beyond has neither. Look at Walmart. Grocery drives the traffic that boosts the sales in other categories. Target took pains to build out a grocery business for the same reason, and it's largely been successful. Use grocery as a low-margin traffic driver and get people drifting around the store to buy more. So category diversification is one part of the story. But Walmart, Target, and especially Amazon are no longer just places that sell products. They also offer solutions and services like healthcare and entertainment. They sell advertising and fulfillment services to their brand partners and, in some cases, even to their competitors. Bed, Bath & Beyond sells home goods. That's it. That's a problem no matter how you look at it. You layer on inflation, rising fuel costs, and lingering COVID concerns, and it's just not sustainable. 
Shoppers want, and now in some cases need, to accomplish more in a single trip, and that trip needs to be close by. So the death of the strip center category killer and lack of diversification are the real stories here. And I'll throw in the convenience factor, too. Some shoppers think convenience means same-day or overnight delivery. Sometimes it means a store within a couple of miles. It could mean a trip to a strip mall, but not very often. When you add it all up, you can even say that Bed Bath & Beyond has had a pretty good run as one of the few remaining legacy category killers. So what's next? Well, category killing is a perilous path these days, but having a recognized name in a category can add real value to a larger portfolio. I talked about the power of portfolios in episode 18 last year. So as I told MarketWatch this week, acquisition might be a logical answer for Bed Bath & Beyond. Being bought out by a real estate brand marketing company like Spark Group could even be a sensible solution. WHP is another possibility, but they probably have enough on their retail plate bringing Toys R Us back to life. But speaking of the Spark Group, I weighed in on that situation in Fortune last week. I've worked in and followed the licensing and brand marketing world for years, including the more recent partnerships that are changing the game, like the Spark Group, which is a partnership between Simon Properties and Authentic Brands Group, or ABG. And it represents a real twist on traditional brand monetization models. We'll see if this partnership can build its own track record of turnarounds because a lot of the brands in the Authentic Brands and Spark Group portfolios are pretty mature. Brands like Eddie Bauer, Brooks Brothers, and Nautica, for example. You've got Forever 21 in the mix, too. It's a relative youngster in the group. It's been around since 1984. Companies like Authentic Brands and Spark understandably see a big opportunity to buy and resuscitate brands right now, and they fill a void on a couple of fronts. A few episodes back, I talked about how not everyone is a Nike and how retailers are increasingly looking to diversify their brand offerings and lessen their reliance on a single power brand like Nike. That plays directly into this portfolio strategy and business model. On the brand side, the conventional brand licensing model involves a lot of risk as brand owners or licensors enlist licensees to create products in various categories, then sell them to retailers. Licensors, the brand owners, are charged with identifying and acquiring brands that still enjoy some awareness and affinity. The licensees are the ones that have to go out on a limb by making commitments to licensor brand owners, sometimes in lieu of confirming that retailers will even be interested in the first place. In the meantime, those licensees are on the hook to pay guarantees and minimums to the brand owners. But by hooking up with one another, and in some cases bringing in real estate experts like Brookfield Partners for some deals, like the acquisition of JCPenney, Simon Properties and Authentic Brands as an ancillary to the deal remove some of those risky hurdles and intermediary steps. Through the partnership, ABG's brands have a ready-made home within Simon Brookfield's retail interests. And that's important because brand marketing companies and licensors have traditionally been reluctant to enter owned retail because it's a completely different model that requires unique operational skills. Well, Simon brings those skills and those retail smarts to Authentic Brands Group. The partnership between them unites ABG's brand design, development, and marketing chops with Simon's retail presence, which drives brand awareness and scale. ABG's product development resources also help drive category expansion for these brands. 
going back to that all-important diversification, that has the potential to turn brands like Forever 21 into multi-channel, multi-category lifestyle brands that operate in wholesale, owned retail, and online. Forever 21 has already found its way into JCPenney, where Simon holds a minority stake. Now, Eddie Bauer, Juicy Couture, Shaquille O'Neal, and Sports Illustrated, all ABG holdings, are also sold at pennies. Rumors are starting to swirl that Simon Properties and Brookfield Partners are eyeing Kohl's for acquisition. But even if it doesn't pan out, it reinforces their intention to keep this retail and brand marketing cross-pollinization model going. So Simon gives authentic brands the confidence to pursue physical and digital options for its brands. From there, the diversification of ABG's retail and brand portfolio serves as a hedge against failure since each of the brands in the portfolio specializes in certain categories and appeals to unique lifestyle segments. So going back to Bed Bath & Beyond, it could have a nice, if potentially temporary, home as an anchor brand in the ABG portfolio. I'm asked all the time about the future of brick and mortar and the relevance of brands. I'm not saying that companies like ABG, Spark, and Simon Properties are the model of the future. In fact, they might very well signal a last gasp, kind of like when former headliner rock bands join up for one last mega tour, hoping that the collective lineup will sell tickets and merch. Feeding multiple brands into aging mid-market retailers may not feel like a long-term home run. But as I always say, there's treasure in those transitions between now and next. And those transitions tend to go on longer than anyone predicted. Riding them to the beach in the meantime makes perfect sense. There's no shame in that game. So here's a quick trajectory tracker recap. The private brand Palooza is still in full swing, whether retailers are creating them from scratch or refining ones that are already in the house. It's a great strategy for established retailers with a history of brand creation, but it's not a panacea for fundamental business model challenges. The remodel rush is also still definitely on, but the defensive clutter-clearing era has passed. Most successful retailers have moved on to offense, implementing next-stage digital strategies and paving the way for automation and immersive store experiences. Diversification is definitely the growth engine for retail right now. Category diversification, expansion into solutions and services, and new formats. The rule really is diversify or die. And there's still power in portfolios because it's just another form of diversification. In this case, brand diversification. And as I always tell my clients, it pays to find treasure in transitions. Let's stop defining success as a concept, business model, or brand that lasts forever and in its original form. Not only is that standard unrealistic, it shuts down all kinds of evolutionary opportunities. So thank you for listening in today. Our next episode breaks on July 26th. Follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Retail Expert. That's X-P-E-R-T to stay on top of what's next or hit my site at speakermanretail.com to check out more insights and get the latest on my speaking events and other happenings. And if you like what you're hearing, please do like, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you want to learn more about my platform positioning workshops, trainings, and presentations, or if you're building out content for upcoming thought leadership events, ping me directly at carol at speakermanretail.com. Thank you for listening in today. I'll see you next time and happy selling.